Hello, this is Dr. Jeff Gold, and I'm the Chancellor of the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And I wanna welcome you to Healthcare Heart to Heart, providing insights into the medical and the scientific issues of the day. And as you may know, I'm a recovering cardiothoracic surgeon, a longtime medical educator, and a firm believer in the ability of science to change lives for the better. Today, my guest is Dr. Dan Anderson, Chief of the University of Nebraska Medical Center Division of Cardiovascular Medicine. Dan, good morning, and great to have you with us. Good morning, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. So as uh, both of us are spent our careers uh, dealing with heart disease, if there are one or two things that you wish more people knew about heart health, uh, what would that be? I think that's a great question because I think what I, even yesterday in clinic, I saw a patient who said, oh my goodness, I've just been diagnosed. And I think what's really important for people to understand with heart health is this is a lifetime opportunity to, to prevent progression of heart disease. I always tell people it starts often when you're a young person, even in, even in your single digits of age, and it progresses to the heart attack at the age of 50. So it'd be nice if people actually understood preemptively we could take a lot of steps to prevent the catastrophic thing that happens at the age of 50, 60, or 70. And just to, to go to your physician and talk to him and say, what is it I can do to manage my heart so that I don't have problems and I get to see my grandchildren graduate from high school, which some people are not fortunate enough to be able to do that. And maybe even college or, or more. And, and or college or et cetera. It's yeah. exactly right. I think it's, it's something that people miss the opportunity to take care of is take care of themselves. And, you know, when you're busy in life, you're distracted, you're raising your kids, but it's important to step back and really take care of yourself so that you can continue to take care of your kids and be an advisor to your grandkids. You know, that's a great segue, Dan, because, uh, you know, when you and I both started our careers, heart disease was still the number one cause of death in the United States. And regrettably, as you know, and I'm sure most of our audience knows it still is today. And so prevention is really the name of the game. And, you know, we've for a long time talked about diet and exercise and screening. But uh, what are the things that you think our audience uh, might not know? about some of the important things that they can do, particularly at a young age. Cause you know, when you're in your teenage years and in your twenties and thirties, you know, you, most people think they're invincible and that heart disease is something that only happens uh, in the latter decades of life. But as you just said, that's when the prevention is the most important. Right, I, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, it's, it is, it's an interesting thing, as you said, it, it's, it's the number one killer. I do think the good thing about some of the research and the advances is that people don't die as much at the age of 45, 50, and 60 because we're actually surviving heart attacks, but we still have other types of heart disease that people die of. Um, so we're, we're, we've shifted the mortality to a different kind mm -hmm. of disease. Um, I, I think it still goes back to you, you, your, your key point is, is that these are things that we can manage earlier in our lives, and we really should be doing that. And I think also bringing our children up you know, so that they understand they can manage their aspects in their lives. Um, and there, there's lots of op opportunities, whether it's just simply understanding diet, the benefit of diet, the benefits of exercise and enough exercise, the right exercise. You know, it's about behavior patterns and what do you do and not do that are healthier, unhealthy, you know, or, you know, approaches to it. So I, I think it's just, it's just taking a much more global view of 
your health, your family's health and ownership of all that in, in concert with your providers. And, you know, I, I recall that I used to talk with uh, patients all the time about <clears throat> lifestyle balance, mm -hmm. that it's not all or nothing. I mean, people won't live on water and cardboard, right? You know, uh, and if you tell them that they have to do that, there's no chance that, that they'll do that. But understanding what a balanced diet means, what understanding what a reasonable amount of cardiovascular exercises, and maybe it'd be worthwhile just taking a minute uh, during this recording uh, to talk about what is cardiovascular exercise, because there are many different types of physical exercise. And I think it's, that's a great uh, uh, kind of add to the previous discussion is what do we do for exercise? I think I always counsel patients, do something you love to do because that's going to become something you're passionate about. Whether it's swimming, it's biking or running, and there are different physical limitations individual patients may have that will guide them to do one versus the other. And then find a partner in crime. You know, find somebody who's your advocate, your support, who's your encourager. You know, we always have days where like, oh my goodness, I don't want to do that. You know, or it's the, it's the best time is when you just finish it and you think, I'm glad I did that. Somebody to help remind you of that. Um, and I think that those are the things that I think we take care of and we control. Um, and I think that that having a plan to do it and building in those patterns and those habits, we always talk about it takes three to four weeks to develop a new habit. You know, and that means persistence. And good, bad, and indifferent, right? Good, bad, and indifferent. Yeah. You know, so think about it. It's not just going to be an overnight switch to stop a bad habit. I think most important in, in what you were describing is, is life is, and its decisions are best approached, I think, in moderation. Do I have a piece of birthday cake on a special birthday? Absolutely. Do I have three pieces? I think I want to. But at that point, I try not to. You know, so I think those are the moderate decisions. Do I have dessert every day? No. Do I have dessert when I go to the restaurants? No, because those are calories that I know are not the best calories to eat. And plus it contributes to the weight problem we all have, including myself, you know. Um, and then I think it's also acknowledging that it's a challenging venture to make sure you take care of yourself in a healthy way in our current marketed society and delivery of products, be it a vending machine in a high school be it food that you select from from a buffet of, of meals, you know, walk through the buffet first, make mm -hmm. your decision, you know, be acknowledging that it's a challenge. I, yeah, those buffets can be dangerous. Absolutely. And you can pick the wrong thing repeatedly or you can pick the right thing and go back in, in moderation, celebrate some of the smaller things that are tasteful, but maybe not very healthy. So. Well, you know, I think we should just take a, a few minutes and just shift gears with our audience and talk a little bit about the impact of COVID. You know, in the early days of COVID, you know, now several years ago, uh, people were seeing uh, the inpatients uh, who were diagnosed with COVID developing really severe heart failure and, and a lot of uh, damage to their heart muscle. And now in the long COVID uh, reports that we're seeing people who are not just three months or six months, but years out, lingering effects of, uh, of loss of heart function or what we would call congestive heart failure, uh, which can be extremely debilitating. So what's the state of the art of that and uh, how much of that are we seeing? And is there any thinking about uh, what might be done to try to help some of these patients because they're they're not few and far between. No, and I, and I think that with that we we clearly saw those first different variants had much more of an impact on, you know, what we see as far as 
direct myocardial injury and heart failure. I think the opportunities of lighting is we've had a known viral entity that's caused a disease pattern. And what we're learning is that that's probably a paradigm across other viral particles and infections. You know, th there are mechanisms that we're now looking at to say, how do we manage and treat the acute phase so that it uh, lessens the chronic phase. But at that, that results in the lingering symptoms of heart failure or symptoms of heart failure that we need to manage. We manage them very much in the way that we manage all heart failure. You know, it's really about medical management and allowing the heart that's remaining that hasn't been irreversibly damaged by an infection to do the job it needs to do without progression and deterioration so that you end up with severe heart failure or end-stage heart failure. So I think knowing that that's there and if you're having these symptoms is to find a provider that works with this can manage those problems because there's very good medications to help protect you and, and, and add years of life. Um, and so I think it's just getting into the system to say, I've had COVID, I have these symptoms, I have this known problem. How do I treat it? How do I prevent it from progression? You know, in the same way, there's other aspects of cardiovascular uh, medicine that people have present with. You can have irregular rhythms, you can have tachycardias, you can have a number of things that present normally in the population, but it's an increased rate after COVID infection. Mm -hmm. And so I think that understanding that those things are there, not living with them, but actually saying, hey, who could I see to who could help me manage this in a way that's constructive to allow me to live my life as I expect or I wish? You know, and I think another message for individuals that may be in the post-COVID cohort of patients that if they're having symptoms, don't wait till they get severe. Yes. And because there's really some very effective medication treatments that can prevent progression and also treat their symptoms. If they, you know, it's almost like any other disease, whether it's heart disease or, or any of the neurologic syndromes or cancer, certain cancers, if not all cancers, that the earlier you can make a diagnosis, the more successful you are in preventing progression and, and treating the disease. Yes, and I, and I think on, on the uh, other side, that's even a much more uh, significant uh, uh, tragedy of COVID infection is people who think I have post-COVID and I have long COVID and I don't seek treatment because it's just COVID, I'll get over it. Um, I think you need to seek treatment for those symptoms because if it is COVID, we help you to find a way to manage it. We also have found out that, you know, hey, you know, you actually had lung cancer and it's not shortness of breath from COVID. Right. And we've had people who have gone into late stages of lung cancer because they thought it was COVID. And I watched it for two years and now we have metastatic cancer. And, you know, regrettably, we are seeing a significant reduction nationwide in cancer screening, as you may know. And it's not just for lung cancer, but it's for cervical cancer, skin cancers, breast cancer, uh, et cetera. And, uh, you know, hopefully that will uh, kick up and get back to normal levels. But there's a tremendous backlog of individuals that just have decided that they're going to hit the pause button uh, on their screening. So uh, before we close, uh, do you remember the day or the hour that you decided uh, that a career in cardiology and treating heart disease was going to be in your future? Yes, um, uh, an interesting and very, um, I want to say, circuitous pathway to cardiology. I think the context of my decision... You really wanted to be a surgeon, right? <laughs> but it, surgery was in my, in my uh, uh, bag of possibilities. I think when I did my PhD in cardiovascular pathology, I knew that there was something that I wanted to do, but I really was focused on inflammation of disease. So when I went through my internal medicine residency, I liked inflammation. I liked hepatitis. I liked oncology. I was interested in rheumatoid arthritis. And as I did every rotation, I'm like, oh, this is a disease of inflammation. 
I mean, the short answer is, is that is inflammation is a foundational aspect of most disease mechanisms. So I found everything interesting. So I actually was had my fellowship application to gastroenterology because I wanted to be a hepatologist. Mm-hmm. Because part of my in, my studies was viral impact on hepatitis and the inflammatory responses that occur in the liver because there's an immune response to the liver is responsible for our body. You know, and I'm like, okay, do I really want to do this? I was actually set up and doing my interview. And I'm cleaning out my lab coat and I'm pulling out EKG after EKG and rhythm strip. And I thought, you know, I'm not pulling out pictures of colon polyps. I'm not pitch- pulling out pictures of biopsies. And then I thought, it's, it's what I love is the tele, the telemetry, the EKGs, the rhythms. That was my aha moment when I thought, why am I doing this? So I went to the program director and I said, I'm going to withdraw my application. And I walked over to the Department of Cardiology and I said, I'd like to be a fellow next year. That was it. And obviously they said yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, congratulations. It's great to have you as a guest. And thank all of you for joining us on this episode of uh, Healthcare Heart to Heart with Dr. Jeff Gold. And please stay healthy until we meet again.